everybody's freaking out because we're getting the first snow that's going to get immediately washed away by two inches of rain. Oh, you guys haven't gotten any snow yet? No, we don't really get snow anymore, but everybody keeps being like, oh, it's it, it's funny. It's people around me be like, we get so much less snow than we used to. Like, we're due. I'm like, that's not that's not how this works. That's no. not why you're getting less snow. I'm like, this isn't like, it's not like you've been playing weather roulette. Yeah, no, yeah, we're, our, we're not on the far of like, end of the weather pendulum. That's about also to not swing how roulette back. works either. Yeah. <laughs> I was about to say, it's almost like people who are like, oh, wow, I've failed like four rolls in a row. I'm bound to get the next right. one. <laughs> right, right. No, people have this like gambler's fallacy about the weather, I guess, as just a defense mechanism about coping with the reality of climate crisis. Mm-hmm. Well, it's funny because people will be like, well, if you can't predict it, you know, based on intuition, then why is the farmer's almanac so accurate? And it's like, well, one, <laughs> it's not the farmer's Actually, almanac this year is it's not been wrong. It's it's pretty consistently about as inaccurate as any other forecast. And two, that's just based on like aggregate observations of a bunch of people throughout history who all talked to one another and wrote down notes and stuff like it's useful. It might give you a general guideline, but like meteorologists with Doppler systems can't even tell you what the weather's going to be like in three days. They're well, always the like, thing- we have a 40% certainty level. I, it's like, why not just piss in the wind? I actually, <laughs> yeah. I, I spent a little bit of time researching this because I was concerned about like being able to grow stuff in my garden and all that. And so I'm looking up weather predictions in the middle of, uh, you know, August or something like that to figure out, oh, when is winter going to hit and how bad is it going to be? Because from my perspective it seems like it's going to be a fairly light year uh, maybe with a bunch of storms but then i'm looking at the farmer's almanac and they're like it's going to be snowy all winter it's going to be so (laughs) incredibly snowy and i'm just like well okay maybe i should look into this because they're predicting nearly six months out that this is going to happen and i look it up and it's like meteorologists say that they can barely predict out two months and -hmm. these people from the farmer's almanac and it turns out that the farmer's almanac uses like astrology yeah yeah <laughs> yep yeah that's no, in there. it's just it the farmer's almanac is just astrology for men <laughs> well for, yeah for people who grow food and are yeah. like i i want to carry a little book around but yeah. uh when they did it during the chinese uh communist revolution it was bad when i do it it's good because it's <laughs> astrology i think yeah, carl this- young would have something to say about that probably something very damaging well, I mean, yeah. the, the Farmer's Almanac is just the modern version of, like, consulting the entrails. Like, yeah, it really is. <laughs> Tea leaves and stuff, yeah. Like, it might as well be we sacrificed a goat, and then we, but we did that, like, once a week for a month, and then we wrote down the results, <laughs> and then we aggregated the statistics of the various sacrifices and what happened, and that's why we think it's going to snow in 12 months. <laughs> yeah, and this is also, I mean, we're right, like, 70% of the time when really you're just, like, doing basic human pattern recognition. Wait, who's, oh, yeah. who's checking? Like, is somebody doing, is Consumer Reports reviewing the last <laughs> oh. 10 years of the Farmer's Almanac predictions? Start, start and- starting a YouTube channel that's, like, debunking flat earthers and, like, arguing with, like, Reddit Christians and Reddit atheists and stuff, but your whole thing is that the Farmer's Almanac is fake. Yeah. <laughs> Like be be doing a, a whole episode of um uh, this would be the one useful and not a, a annoying libertarian episode of bullshit by Penn and Teller, but about the <laughs> farmer's almanac. Oh yeah, God, I, you, you just reminded me of that. Wow, <laughs> Penn Jillette is the ultimate example of uh 
if dudes pick up one technical skill and get really good at it, they think that that qualifies them to speak on everything yes. under the sun. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and and uh, especially having uh, been that person before. Yeah, look, I've been <laughs> that person past. before too. Look, there was a through... time where I thought Pendulette was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh no, this guy's an asshole. Well, you know, we we all keep growing up, or I guess some people don't, but on this show, we all <laughs> keep growing up. And uh, this um, show is called Works. <laughs> Should I just go into it? I don't know. Um, actually, I I forgot my water in the other room, so I have oh, to grab okay. my water. Yeah, yeah. Pendulette. Throwing out references that only people in their 30s are going to get. <laughs> <laughs> Remember watching VHS recordings of <laughs> stage magic from the television? They used to air it late at night on NBC. You, if you were lucky, you could catch some live animal magic, but it was usually just street type stuff. Explaining people today who are force-fed ads on every single platform about the 30-minute ad blocks for the Ron Popeil Showtime Rotisserie <laughs> Barbecue, and that that was an actual thing where you just had a channel that was just showing a 30-minute long commercial, and then that people would watch it. <laughs> oh, if I woke up early enough and there wasn't anything that I wanted to watch on any of the five channels that my television got, I would just throw on an infomercial and I would consider the merits of a fucking George Foreman grill or whatever they were selling. <laughs> oh, wow. What a poisonous yeah. culture. Yeah, I mean, people are like horrified at the ads today. They're like, there's porn ads on everything. I'm like, there always has been, man. Remember Girls <laughs> yeah. Gone Wild, the like most culturally damaging artifact? Yeah, like, welcome to America. Yeah, <laughs> it's a bad place, man. It's yeah. a bad country. Um, anyway, <laughs> anyway. This is your favorite labor podcast in the whole wide country. Uh, work stoppage. My name is John. I'm Dan. And I'm Lena. And we're an entirely listener-supported show, so thank you if you support us on Patreon. Hop in the Discord if you're not already in there. Message me on Patreon if you need stickers. And leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you think it will help the show. Yeah, and so... Uh, we've got a bunch of quick follow-ups that were not, you know, quite big enough to necessitate their own story, uh, but we really didn't want to go through and just skip them because we talked last week and really over the last few weeks about the push to unionize growing so much into even the finance sector for once, uh, where we just talked last week about the victory of the union drive at the Albuquerque branch of Wells Fargo, uh, and becoming the first major bank branch to unionize in decades. And I believe now the only unionized branch of one of the like big, you know, giant, uh, financial rulers of the earth. Um, And so just on the heels of that, this week, a fifth bank branch of Wells Fargo, this one in Wilmington, Delaware, has filed for a union as well. And in the letter announcing their union drive, the workers raised concerns about low pay, understaffing, and a lack of say in their workplace, which I'm sure is is not something familiar to any of our listeners or my (laughs) co-hosts. Right. (laughs) 
Yeah, no say in the in a bank's workplace. You're, you don't say. <laughs> I thought that the finance industry was different from other industries. But you know, <laughs> it is, but in ways that are only bad. <laughs> <laughs> but um. Oh, speaking of things that are only bad. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. Also, this week. Uh, you know, we talked last week about the really big protests, tens of thousands of workers in the streets uh, in, in Buenos Aires in response to the attempts by aspiring dictator Javier Malay uh, to basically just take over and rule by decree. Uh, and so this week, thankfully, there has been a pause in that where Argentina's court system stepped in and said, you can't just like declare yourself king. And then, like you, they they basically looked at the the this gig, this like mega law package that mm-hmm. he, he declared. No, this has to be passed immediately without legislative review. It just has to become law because there's an emergency. Well, and it, so, it, it gutted every single ministry, right? Like there was a video of him it, pulling the it, names of ministries off a board. Yeah, it's like it was going to lead to slashing like 7,000 public worker jobs Mm -hmm. and and like eliminating most labor rights, gutting the right to strike, banning most street protests. Uh, Basically like a way to jumpstart your way into a uh, like – Quasi military dictatorship, um, but he's he's good because he wants to use American currency instead of the Argentine <laughs> right, peso, right? Which would just which if he actually does that will literally just turn Argentina into a colony of the United States, but like yeah. so many other countries in the world. Well, I mean, but also like not he, even not just like a neo colony where it's like the the tendrils of control are a little difficult to see. They're mm-hmm. hidden behind that comprador layer. This is just like no, you you are basically an unincorporated territory territory of america now <laughs> yeah it's texas um, too well they don't, i mean it's like it'd be not that dissimilar from like say puerto rico right um yeah but like so thankfully though in response to his attempt to do this uh and and then lawsuits filed by basically every single labor organization in argentina but led by the cgt uh the argentina's court system said no you can't just declare yourself king uh they they noted in their ruling uh delaying the implementation of that law that some of the proposed changes to labor law appeared quote repressive or punitive in nature end quote (laughs) and did not justify the supposed need to bypass the legislative process to enact them that's about the nicest way you could possibly fucking say that. <laughs> the yeah. idea, of, I mean, like, also just the fact that they're uh, they're like, oh no, you have to go through the legislative process to be to pass these inc- these horrible like policies, just shows the absolute like uh, toothlessness of the capitalist state to protect you know people's rights in general. Because it's not just like, sure, you guy, guy can't just declare himself king. No, he's got it. You know get it through parliament you got to get a hundred other servants of the rich to also declare that they want to gut everyone's rights you can't just do it with one person right and of course (laughs) you know all of this is basically totally unrelated to the fact that he just forcibly retired 22 high-ranking generals in his military and made his buddy the leader of the argentine air force the head of the joint chiefs of staff Um, extremely cool something to Mm. keep an eye on i would say yeah yeah um so yeah, so at least there's a temporary reprieve there, but also you know the the workers are not 
at all backing off on their pressure. And the CGT, the country's largest union federation, has called for a general strike on January 24th in protest of the anti-worker actions, really to force Malay not to just go through the legislative branch, but actually just withdraw, you know, these attempts to gut all labor protections in the country. Yeah. I mean, uh, it'll be really interesting to see what the kind of pushback against this this guy i don't even know how to describe this guy anymore honestly yeah. the, the pushback against this motherfucker uh by the labor movement is going to be because it's like he has so many grand designs on just radically reshaping the way that argentina's relationship to the world exists at all like he's openly talked about starting another falklands war which is like as cool as it is to fight england not yeah. not this one okay this one isn't cool <laughs> well but that would it's but it's like for purely opportunistic reasons mm-hmm. like uh but yeah, I mean, it's fucked, but I mean, the th- I, the thing is, it's like, I think the key here is that it's not, like, the his horrible agenda is not just being openly rolled out. It's facing massive mm-hmm. pushback, massive struggle from the working class, and that is going to continue to happen. So I'm sure we're going to be covering that issue more as the year rolls on. But uh, another thing, did just want to shout out to, you know, the, the UAW has been on a hell of a roll <laughs> over the last... I get a year really, but especially the last six months. And also just wanted to mention that there are UAW workers at City World Ford in the Bronx who are now on strike. Uh, I wanted to mention this strike because the the reason the workers are on strike is that these workers unionized there in July, but the dealership has refused to negotiate a first contract. So rather than wait around and then let them keep dragging the process out, the workers are demanding that the company stop its bullshit and come back to the table and negotiate a fair contract. And I just I wanted to point this one out because it, I think it's a really good trend that we're seeing more of, where especially when they have the backing of like one of these really big unions like the UAW or the Teamsters, we're seeing more and more unions like being willing to just be like, yeah, you don't get to lie about bargaining you have to actually do it we're not just going to sit here and let you pretend that you're going to bargain and do nothing if you're going to play around like this we're going to go on fucking strike yeah yeah absolutely i mean whenever i see things like that i just remember when i was trying to negotiate a first contract with my union and just like the way that the company would give some and then just like the next time you would show up at bargaining, there would be like, oh, no, that thing that you said you liked, we actually changed that back to the thing that you didn't like. And so now everything is backwards. And that's even just like that's surface bargaining. But this is like also just more like not bargaining in the first place. And I'm just yeah. like, I, I don't I I'm I don't blame these workers at all for being like, uh, sorry, this has been a couple months and I'm, I'm over it already. Yeah. Absolutely. And then in one last quick shout out before we roll into our uh, a little more in-depth stories, uh, did just want to congratulate the workers at Ohio State University's Wexner Medical Center, where a thousand patient care associates and psychiatric care technicians uh, just recently voted to unionize with the machinists. Uh, and, you know, we've seen so many uh, healthcare workers unionize in droves since the start of the pandemic, as, uh, you know, a lot of people have had an unfortunate wake-up call to how our bosses don't give a shit about us. And so, uh, really, if we want decent conditions, we are going to have to come together and fight for it. And so, uh, in their statement congratulating the workers, uh, the machinists uh, said, quote, the PCAs are fighting for a change that will not only enhance their lives and their colleagues' lives, but also increase patient care. 
They're fighting for workplace safety measures, increased staffing levels, and fair wages and benefits, which they greatly deserve as healthcare professionals. The PCAs have seen the power of coming together collectively in the past year, as Wexner Hospital has seen multiple healthcare groups unionize. They are eager to have a voice alongside them, end quote. Hell yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I'm especially pointing out the uh, benefiting to the workers themselves and then that also benefiting the patients. Uh, you know, I mean, we say it all the time, but it's always good to hear other people echoing that or I guess us echoing them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and then, I mean, we also have to talk, I mean, as we've gone through so many different, you know, terrible topics in our capitalist system i mean every week we have to discuss one of the new horrors that goes on and this week we we do have one from i mean just the the flat wages during spiraling inflation to intentional understaffing running workers ragged the mandatory seven-day work weeks in pursuit of just more and more profits that have pushed millions of workers just about as far as they can go there was actually a recent article in forbes that highlights just one really kind of one that I guess that especially young people were uh kind of colloquially colloquially like oh yeah this is definitely going to happen but we're seeing the real like manifestations of it which is the end of retirement mm-hmm. and I mean in a piece although in the not piece, spun that way <laughs> right right and, and I mean in the piece that was published on December 14th Forbes noted that the percentage of people over 65 working last year was just under 20 percent uh and I mean that might seem, oh, just under 20%. Okay. Well, but in 1987, for comparison, the, that number was around half of what it was, which was around 10%. Mm-hmm. And according to the report from Pew Research Center, the problem of the inability to retire is just accelerating, with workers 75 and older being the fastest growing sector of the employed. Yeah, every job I've had for like the last 10 fucking years, it's been shocking how many people we hire on who are well into retirement age or on the fucking verge of it where I'm thinking like, look, this is not a good fucking job. So how bad is the situation out there that you had to come around and work at this fucking beer distributor or coffee shop or vending machine place or whatever the fucking shitty job is that I have at the time? Yeah, yeah. The only person in my family who's been able to like kind of actually retire was my aunt, like uh, out of the, like the poor people in my family is my aunt who had a union job at the telephone company. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. So no, it makes sense. Well, it's funny because like this stuff always gets spun in such ridiculous ways. Like uh, it it gets thrown out. There's like oh well, you know uh, that's actually ageism. <laughs> to say stuff like that, that you know it's really a lot of people they can't get hired at that age i'm like well okay look i i guess but that's not what we're talking about it's like look, these folks should not have to work if like, you don't condone elder support. abuse dan if you don't just sit <laughs> like flat out indor- endorse elder abuse then that's just ageist yeah <laughs> it's it's so weird how how these terms get spun around to mean whatever uh-huh. is fucking convenient at the time because what's fucking ageist is making people work into their elderly age, not taking care of the elderly in a structural manner in this country at all and making Mm -hmm. people's poor fucking kids take care of them and go into a bunch of medical debt all the way up to their end of life. And then when they have to pay that off, also inherit their parents' debt that they died with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Well, and I mean, the piece in Forbes is aimed at, you know, obviously the managerial and ruling classes spins this as, you know, a, a really good thing. Because, you know, as you were just alluding to with the, you know, whatever ways you can try to spin rhetoric, the rich do have their own, uh, I mean, I guess their own full publications, obviously, Forbes uh, being one of them. Mm-hmm. They try to make it seem that it, it is just uh, th- that there are, they try to make it seem that the reason elders continue to be exploited is that it's just because they're all just directors and managers and they love their job they they really just want to do this This, these are elderly folks who just really want to be working instead of living their retirement yeah i mean every time i have somebody over 70 bagging my fucking groceries at the grocery store i think to myself like wow i cannot wait to be an executive director like this fella king (laughs) is living it up what a wonderful life we live in america yeah, because it's it's wild because they they cite in the piece like and that's pretty much it. There, there's not a lot of meat in there. It's just that that one like stat I think is really important to talk about. This just this fact that we have more and more folks into their their le- last years being forced to work, and they try to be like, no, everybody wants to do this, except that. <laughs> Like, yeah, that might be true in a couple of cases, but it's clear that, the, again, like you said, John, it's like the reason more and more elders are working is because they're forced to through poverty yeah. because, you know, like, wow, we always hear this bullshit about, oh, Social Security is going to run out of money. Yeah, that's not, we, th- that's not true. It's a right-wing canard, but that does not mean Social Security is anywhere near adequate or, or enough for people to actually get by on. Like, Social Security is going to continue to be around, but it's been an insufficient means of support basically since it was originally passed well and there's also there's a very deceptive trend of like man on the street style reporting on this stuff too where they go up and they ask old people who are working shitty fucking jobs or like why are you out here and they always say like i just need something to get me out of the house in the morning and everyone kind of just takes that on faith not remembering that entire generations were socially conditioned to never tell you the honest truth about their finances never once at all ever Mm -hmm. to speak on that kind of thing out of sheer embarrassment you know yeah i mean and there's always just like the classics like i'm on a fixed income and that fixed income doesn't go up and i mean that is the case in many of in many of these cases but also i mean if people were in their retirement and had enough money to i don't know do the projects that they wanted to do in their old age Maybe they wouldn't be going and and selling their labor to some capitalist. Yeah, and and I mean, like I I I just I just think this is just clearly a a a symptom of the economic decay of the United States. Like we, you know, we know, and it's also it's a, it's a result of intentional policies. Like you know, we know we Biden tried to crush the working class and has continued to with these high interest rates hoping that that would create, you know, a light recession that would not be super bad for the economy but would throw a lot of people out of work and would weaken the current state of the labor market. You know, that's what all those uh, articles about, oh, we have a real labor shortage. We got to expand the labor pool. We got a labor shortage. That's what all those were about encouraging. Uh, but the thing is, you know, that didn't work because the demand for production has been super high. So unemployment hasn't gone up partially because so many people are having to work multiple jobs because while people are employed, their jobs are dog shit. And so the way that we're now seeing the capitalist class try to suppress wages, keep their profit margins continuing to rise, okay, well, if we can't expand the industrial reserve army of labor by throwing a shitload of people out of work because, boy, we got a lot of products to sell and we do want to sell them, 
well, we'll expand the reserve army of labor by rolling back social reforms, by adding children and adding elderly people to it. And we'll do that by, in, in the former case, by rolling back child labor laws, and in the latter case, by rolling back social support programs, like, for instance, all the pandemic era programs that President Biden and the Democrats allowed to expire, which they easily could have made permanent, which would have made a big difference in millions of people's lives. And of course, yeah. you know, it's only a sign of a thriving economy when your underfunded road construction crews are all 15 and 75 years yeah. old. And it's a sign of a debilitating economy on the brink of collapse when you have a national pension program available to everybody at age 60 and uh, you have a, a thriving elderly hobbyism scene such as in the People's Republic of China. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah it's, it's, a, it's not a good sign. And, and honestly, I mean, to me, the whole thing just speaks of, 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 love, of our ruling class like abandoning even the pretense of sticking to mm -hmm. the, the vaguest sense of a social contract. Like... There's all you know underlying the whole myth of the American dream is there there's a, there's this constant indoctrination of you know the the barest sense of meritocracy this idea that look if you work yeah you, they've abandoned the idea that you'll prosper and succeed that they don't even try to trick you with that anymore but they'll just be like you'll be okay you'll get by and then you'll be able to retire well now they're not even telling you that anymore they're just like you'll be you'll work until you die and you'll be happy about it I'm like if that's your message to people, what is their <laughs> what is their incentive to participate in that society? Like that isn't like what's the point of even having a society if that's gonna be what you're offering people? Yeah, I think that we are gonna see as people kind of uh become more aware of this sort of thing, a uh, much less strong allegiance to this horrible fucking system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, Speaking of our horrible system, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, because we're obviously working through, uh, you know, early stages of a climate apocalypse right now. Uh, we've also got all the tools and technology necessary to completely remove carbon from our grid. And so in the greatest, most dynamic economic system ever, <laughs> free market <laughs> capitalism in the United States, we're clearly yeah. plowing ahead with that in a great great and effective manner right oh well, it's so yeah, profitable i mean, I mean we, how could we not <laughs> and as we pointed out in the cold open i mean clearly even though the farmer's almanac can't get it right anymore <laughs> you know that, that it's fine it's totally yeah. fine yeah so <laughs> joking about this in reference to there was a recent uh op-ed published by uh some some workers in the solar installation uh, industry and from some organizers from the UAW about really some of the problems and the growing pains of the renewable energy sector caused largely by a lack of unionization. And this is specifically in response to uh, union busting by the largest solar firm on Long Island and power. And so, you know, we've discussed in the past the problems of, of, of the solar installer industry, of low wages, transient projects, and basically zero in the way of any kind of benefits or job security uh, for workers. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot of work in the industry right now, especially with so many handouts to big companies from uh, various uh, you know, infrastructure bills and stuff passed by the Democrats. Uh, and so, which theoretically is a good thing, but it's been a race to the bottom for wages and benefits as companies seek to take as much funding for their, you know, executive boards and CEOs and stuff as possible rather than actually spending it on workers' wages. Instead, you know, 
acting as if solar installing is unskilled labor and they can just pay the, the smallest amount they possibly can get away with. And all of our politicians have been happy to enable that. And, because, and this has resulted in a median income for solar installers of just $45,000 a year, which understandably leads to extremely high rates of turnover in the industry. And thus, because of the, the turnover, because of the lack of experienced personnel in the job, a total lack of safety on the job site as well. And, and ultimately, you know, why those conditions are so bad really gets to the fact that only 4% of solar workers and 6% of wind power workers are unionized. And so in relation to this, on Long Island, where uh, you know they're installing a lot of new solar projects, so this Empower, the biggest solar installer there, has uh, unfortunately responded to attempts by workers to organize uh, by hiring National Labor Relations Associates. Oh, oh I see what geez. they did there. <laughs> yeah, it's the NLRA, guys. Hmm. <laughs> They're the associates of the law that, you know, they <laughs> that are, is for the workers, right? right? I've said it before on this show, but if an acronym includes a letter that stands for associates or association, <laughs> there's a very good chance that they are just straight up evil. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, unfortunately, National Labor Relations Association Associates, the bad NLRA, uh, although I mean, yeah, it's just, very abstract yeah. and deep discussion about whether the original NLRA was actually good. But anyways, uh, they they uh, are professional scumbags who advertise a ninety percent success rate at stopping union drives. Uh, great thing to advertise. Uh, we ruin ninety percent of the lives of the people we encounter professionally. The thing that we're technically legally not allowed to do, and we have to call by a <laughs> bunch of other names in order to be allowed to operate our business. We're also advertising that we're so successful at it. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, they've been hired by Empower to try and keep uh, Long Island solar sites union-free and keep wages at rock bottom. Uh, most of Empower's workers make well below even the median income for solar installers nationally, averaging just the equivalent of 15 to $18 an hour, $30,000 to $35,000 a year. Uh, but, you know, despite the fact that they're clearly making huge profits by paying such rock bottom wages, uh, they're happy to take a small amount of those profits and spend a hefty amount of money hiring these lawyers to keep uh, a union out of their shop. And to emphasize how little they pay, empower workers describe being forced to skip meals and take second jobs because of how low their pay is. And this is in a system where the, you know, the president and the ruling party supposedly claim that what they want to do is not only transition to green energy, but provide good jobs like this. So That's, these are people I, who do installation, who mm -hmm. might be on roofs or be carrying mm -hmm. heavy metal or, you know, be working with servos and other sorts of delicate equipment along with really heavy equipment and they're oh. hungry. Well, and also just, you know, the people that are doing the work of trying to make it so the planet doesn't, like, light on fire seems kind of important, maybe yeah, worth I, compensating. <laughs> I've never installed a solar panel before. Would you say it's more or less difficult than making a sandwich? <laughs> more. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm starting Although to get an approximate sandwich, idea. <laughs> sandwiches are extremely important, so I don't want to downplay well, the importance In many ways, a solar panel is like a sandwich, but that's not really what we're talking about. <laughs> 
But yeah, and so it's uh yeah, Empower sucks and is treating their workers like mm-hmm. shit. And and one of the things that contributes to this is that many Empower workers are hired seasonally just for a month or two in the peak summer season and then fired. That gives the company tremendous leverage over workers, but it also unsurprisingly continually lowers their standards of work because so few of their employees are with the company long enough to build experience. And so tired of constant turnover and getting nowhere, asking the bosses to improve conditions individually, and inspired by the historic stand-up strike, Empower Workers reached out to UAW Local 259 to represent them. W. And, And so in response to that... With the UAW coming in, initially the company shifted its tack from its 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 constant you know uh, regime of surveillance and repression and dismissal of of uh, workers' concerns to suddenly being nice to everybody and handing out a few small raises. Oh, <laughs> oh interesting! Wow. Yeah, yeah, we've never seen this before. Uh, give us another chance. Yeah, and they so they yeah exactly they tried convincing their workers they didn't need a union, and then also that the UAW was a bad fit for solar workers, huh. <laughs> which I love. I love when you include the hedge in your own argument. You don't need a union. Well, and if you do, not that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, I didn't. Uh, I never borrowed your kettle, and actually, it was damaged when I borrowed it. And actually, yeah. I fixed it before I returned it. <laughs> like, yeah. what would their argument be like? That it clearly it's just uh, not, not the not the one you picked, but also it's like, what about like is it electrical? Like, yeah, they, are you w- sure you wouldn't want to join UE or IOTC yeah. <laughs> or? <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. No, it's good. you know if they had if they were going with the UE, you'd be like, you shouldn't go with it. You, you're supposed to go with the IBW, and, and yeah. if they went with the IBW, it'd be the other one. They, they don't. It, you guys are actually bullshit. foundry workers. Uh. <laughs> but yeah, thankfully though. The both both of these methods of union busting uh, failed for Empower, and on December twenty second, forty nine workers at Empower in Bethpage, New York, voted overwhelmingly in favor of joining the UAW. But the reason this story is towards the beginning of the episode and not at the end of the episode with the uh, unambiguously happy stories is. Uh, that in response to the union victory, the company decided to uh, drop any pretense of respecting their workers or viewing them as human beings at all. And on December 29th, a week after the uh, union vote and just a couple of days after Christmas, Empower fired nearly half of their workers without notice. Oh, classic. Yeah. Um, And so uh, UAW Local 259 held a rally uh, out in front of Empower HQ and Bethpage just this morning uh, to demand, actually might still be going on right now, I think, Uh, (laughs) as we're recording this. Yeah, on Saturday, uh, to demand that the workers be rehired, that the company stop union busting and agree to a fair contract that will make these jobs real, sustainable careers. And, like, look, I mean, obviously we live in, as we talk about on the show, a horrific uh, legal system for our our workers that gives uh, companies enormous leverage. But I don't know that the UAW is the union that I would want to be fucking with right now, (laughs) just to be honest. Well, a lot of the, you know, workers who are kind of on the front lines of these technological developments, working in burgeoning industries like solar, working in burgeoning industries like electric vehicles, (laughs) Tesla, Mm -hmm. you know, like they're, it's so important that we lend them as much support as possible because it's not just to, to set the standard for those industries going forward, but it's also to make it like, 
so that when these industries do become standardized, like that they were <laughs> that they were set up in a way that's sustainable from the beginning, not just mm-hmm. in terms of like the environment, but in terms of the fucking labor environment as well. Yeah, yeah I was about to say uh, sustainable in like every aspect of the word, you know, and not just, uh, oh, this is sustainable energy, not sustainable mm-hmm. work or, or a job or livelihood or community building uh, project, you know, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, capitalists try to do this with every new technological advancement. They try to use it to mystify labor relations. It's not too dissimilar from what we saw with streaming and what the mm-hmm. SAG and, mm-hmm. and, and writer strikes were over in that respect as well. I mean, it's just a really clear through line. And people forget that we're living in the future and we do have to contend with emergent technology as part of the labor landscape. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, further on the UAW, we're also going to cover some UAW workers at Allison Transmission. So this week, 1,500 UAW local 933 members at Allison Transmission in Indianapolis started preparing for the possibility of a strike if the company continues to drag out negotiations and refuses to agree to a fair contract. Allison is one of the largest manufacturers in the area, making transmissions for a broad variety of vehicles. The workers at Allison are fighting for many of the same things that their brethren at the Big Three were fighting for, ending wage tiers, restoring COLA, and improving retirement and health care benefits. Workers say that pay has stagnated so much that they have to work many more hours than they used to, some working 9 to 10 hour shifts, 7 days a week, to get by. One woman put in a double, then came right back to work another. She was so exhausted from the overwork, she crashed her car and passed away. Yeah, I mean... (sighs) Yeah, I mean, there's overlaps there with so many of the other, you know, workers that we've talked about on the show. I know, you know, we talked about the Frito-Lay strike that happened a couple of years ago. You had so many of the workers working mandatory six, seven-day weeks with, like, 70, 80 hours. Mm -hmm. These absurd amounts of time. The workers in IATSE, you know, Mm -hmm. we've talked about that. That's a big reason why I think that there's a good chance of a strike this year Mm -hmm. uh, because this exact same thing is a problem for them. And, again, this is this whole thing – where all these companies are like, all right, well, these co- these people got unionized. I, I can't get rid of the union. But what if I just made it so I never hired anyone else mm-hmm. and just made every one of these workers work longer and longer and longer while I kept making more profits? Yeah, well, I just want to point to one thing that you said, Dan, about like the uh, comparing to the Frito-Lay situation where people might not remember this, but one of the main things in that story was that a worker died in the shop floor Mm -hmm. and they were stepping over the body in order to continue production. And Mm -hmm. I mean, in, in a certain way, the, this Allison transmission is basically doing that by continuing these horrible shifts, you know, when people are dying because of them and just saying, you know what, just just look past it. Just just well, forget about it. Well, and that's the thing. Like, I also think it's important to point out, like, these companies that are involved in this stuff, because I think, you know, when you talk to folks, there will be an acknowledgement that, you know, the in, in our system that there are super abusive bosses that, like, treat their workers like dog shit and, and run them ragged in these horrific conditions. But I, there's a lot of rationalizing about, like, well, that no, those are extreme cases on, like, the edges or whatever. It's like, no, it, like, it's Frito-Lay, it's Amazon, it's the, it's, it's all, the reason those companies are so big is because they do stuff like this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that's how you get that big. Like, Allison Transmission, they make, like, I think, like, every basically heavy-duty transmission, mm-hmm. like, out there. Like, if if you're driving a heavy, 
duty vehicle it probably has an allison transmission in it like this is a very big company <laughs> yeah. yeah so so big i mean i think that in the video they said they also make tank transmissions yep yep mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 heavy duty shit. It's dangerous work and it's a huge industry. And hearing from Patty Evans, an electrician at Allison, who said in a video produced by the UAW, I think is pretty revealing, quote, we gave up a lot during the recession. And in those years, there really hasn't been a reciprocation of the sacrifices we made during that time. End quote. Mm -hmm. Also pointing out that Allison brought in half a billion in profits last year, while CEO David Graziosi made nearly 10 million dollars. Yeah, while while at the same time, you know, again, these folks are working seventy-hour weeks, never getting to see their families, Mm -hmm. and and they're and yeah, and they're trying to be like, oh well, that's just how it is. That's how the industry goes. Please ignore this unfathomably large sack of money I'm trying to stuff behind this curtain. Well, and Mm -hmm. in situations like this, bosses will often try and to spin it as like, look, if I hired more employees, that would cut into your overtime and you'd make less money overall. Aren't you excited (laughs) for the overtime? Isn't overtime such a fucking blessing from, you know, the benevolent Lord? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, really, that's the attitude you see in a lot no, of. No, you're uh, right. Like my my employer acts like that, even though we don't really have mandatory OT for the most part. Uh, they're always trying to be like, "You want to wash the trucks, man?" No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> So uh, the bargaining team at Allison had agreed to a four-year tentative agreement a week after their contract expired in November, but the rank and file voted it down by 95%. The union hasn't set a hard deadline for a potential strike, but have made it clear that they're ready to walk out at any time if the company refuses to move on critical issues. The strike threat seems to have made a real difference because on Friday evening, the union announced that they'd reached a new TA. There's still not a ton of information available since it just happened, but the UAW says that the new deal includes historic wage increases, an end to wage tiers, increases to both 401ks and pensions, and adding Juneteenth as a paid holiday. So, I mean... Credible strike threat works? Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of... I, I I hate to sound overconfident, but it's like what you would expect from UAW involvement at this particular it, juncture in history. Yeah, and I also like I on this is pure speculation. So like, but I do wonder if you know their contract expired in November. Like, I have to imagine those initial negotiations were probably handled almost entirely by the local officers, mm-hmm. whereas this recent one, there's more resources from National that have been freed up by the the end of the big three strike. So maybe they were able to bring in more of, you know, big guns and, like, staff from, from National level and help really put the squeeze on Allison. I mean, we obviously recently over the last week or so, we've seen more, like, pr- really well-produced videos and really good agitational content from the union. So I have to imagine that like probably played a role in, in pressing uh, Allison to give an actual much better contract than the first TA. Oh yeah. Well, I mean with this kind of turnaround, I mean, ending wage tiers and increasing both 401ks and pensions, I'd be surprised if Fane wasn't down there his fucking self or if he didn't send Mike Booth down to do it for him. Yeah. And now obviously again, they just announced the TA and so uh, it's very possible the rank and file could rec- could reject this one too. And so That'd maybe there so still cool. will be a strike. But I mean, the uh, workers I mean, in the video were pretty fed up. They were mm-hmm. pretty adamant about that they were experiencing the same conditions that people at the big three were experiencing before they got their most recent contract. Mm-hmm. Or and in some cases, you know, could be slightly worse. And so, I mean, th- these workers are not going to put up with just, you know, pretty good. They want 
absolutely like top tier when it comes to well I guess I shouldn't even use the word tier because they're getting rid of those (laughs) but you know some of the best contract language that they can possibly get well I think that's reflected by the fact that they voted down the first TA by 95% you know that's (laughs) that's not a narrow vote that's not 60 40 or anything (laughs) yeah so I mean I I am I I will wager this TA with the more pressure probably is Mm -hmm. is significantly better I mean the language they used for it is very similar to the language around the victories at the big three so I would imagine you know we're kind of building almost like UAW pattern bargaining even at these like areas outside of the mainline uh like big automakers yeah I wonder if it will all also come with an expiration of may 1st <laughs> oh yeah i didn't even think about that mm. that would be really cool because uh, uh but yeah you're talking about pattern bargaining it'd be cool to uh get all those auto manufacturers even the transmission makers all on that same schedule yeah absolutely. oh well yeah if you got the whole industry if you got all the <laughs> auto glass manufacturers and all of the muffler repair shops and everything like that'd be pretty cool <laughs> well but i mean and that's where the uaw's internationalism and their mm-hmm. efforts to help promote the uh, effective unionization in mexico is, is an area that i think is really important so yeah but yeah so we'll definitely uh we'll we'll follow this and and, and keep folks updated if this ta is either you know ad- adopted or rejected yeah. Well, and I mean, catching up on another strike that we didn't get a chance to talk about before the holiday break. I mean, we have to talk about postdoctoral workers because we've had plenty to talk about when it comes to healthcare workers strikes as well as academic ones. But I mean, this one is a, you know, a bit of an overlap. At the start of December, after over a year of bargaining, postdocs at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York City went on strike to force their bosses to stop stalling and actually negotiate their first contract. The 500 postdoctoral workers at Mount Sinai unionized with the UAW back in 2022 to fight for benefits and other things as their position had very much so been left behind by the horrible healthcare and, I guess, uh, uh, education industry and postdoctoral workers were, I mean, originally not eligible for maternity leave, and I guess probably still uh, medical leave or childcare. While some workers told reporters that they were forced to choose between their careers in medical research and having kids because of mm-hmm. the lack of benefits. I mean, this is this is unacceptable. This is one of those. Yeah, I mean, well, and this is it's wild, you know, because. Uh, there's a, there's so much about like the patho- the psychopathology of the right that I think is so interesting in relation to this because you know one of the th- they they obsess about birth rates and things like that and one of their archetypes is you know the 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 overeducated liberal who doesn't have kids and it's like you do real and there's all this you know like fear mongering about why aren't why aren't like like Gen Z having more kids and all this stuff and it's like be because you don't pay them anything and mm-hmm. it's everything is so expensive it costs a billion dollars to be alive but, how the fuck is anybody supposed to have kids like well, this yeah, is a system you but built Dan, we cut education <laughs> so how would they know anything about family planning <laughs> right well yeah, yeah well like, that's that uh, that's the brute force ideas it's like well if we just try and make it so nobody knows you can avoid having kids then we can get around this whole uh people know it's too expensive to have children problem we'll just we'll just do it that way we'll try well, and paper it, everything over with ideology it's also like, you know, why isn't anybody having kids? Well, let me answer your question with a question. Why is a rundown one-bedroom house in the middle of nowhere $200,000? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, all of these workers, they they basically do research that is necessary to pr- improve medical knowledge and save lives. And I mean, Andrea Joseph, postdoctoral worker in the OBGYN department and member of the union bargaining committee said in a statement, quote, Sinai has rejected proposals to offer childcare subsidies so parents can afford to stay on the job and to extend access to campus housing, even as New York City's housing crisis worsens. We love our work and we do not want to strike, but after more than a year of bargaining in which Sinai has behaved unlawfully, we have to stand up for ourselves, end quote. Mm -hmm. And very, very much so an understandable statement, especially as they pointed out in New York City's, like, uh, housing issue where... (laughs) They like it's so expensive to have a house in New York City, but yet somehow they can't be bothered to provide basic services so that these people providing essential medical services like research are able to live their lives. Mm-hmm. I it just it just boggles the mind that and I mean obviously it's part of the ideology of ever increasing profits kind of disregarding anything related to the workers themselves because hey they're here at the workplace so that's good enough right I mean obviously you know if you actually look at things more intersectionally or dialectically uh, or both I guess uh, you can actually see that it requires people to be able to not only pay for their housing, to be able to feel like they're enjoying their lives, to make sure that if they have children, that those children can be cared for, but also good conditions at the workplace so that when they're at work, it's not just miserable. Like, there are, all of these things matter all at the exact same time, and these employers just don't give a fuck. Well, and I mean, it's just, it's like, Look, you want to give people feudal living conditions, you're going to get feudal levels of societal production. Mm-hmm. Like People are like, why don't we innovate anymore? I'm like, because you're grinding millions of people into the dust. Well, yeah, that's <laughs> like, like that's one, of the, why. one of the things this has me thinking about is like, what is a lever that we have left to pull to fix the fucking housing crisis and the real estate crisis in this country, if not for fucking like union density? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. almost nothing that the working class can do at this point besides make sure that everybody has fair labor representation, especially in situations like New York City, where it's increasingly just becoming speculative, speculative real estate in one of the most densely populated cities in the Western Hemisphere. Yeah, no, we need to get back to the point where there's enough unions so that when people get evicted, then no, they didn't. Yes, mm-hmm. correct. <laughs> correct, correct. And I'm not just saying that, like, like, I kind of mean that literally, not as a joke. No, no I mean, that's a no, thing that I needs think to you physically were materially happen, yeah. Uh-huh, yeah. Uh, but, I mean, to back to the, the strike, after 12 days on strike, on December 18th, the UAW announced that they'd reached a tentative agreement on a first contract. The New Deal won raises, making Mount Sinai workers the highest-paid postdoctoral workers in the country. Critically, they won six weeks of parental leave for all workers, housing subsidies for new graduates, just cause protections against firing, expanded rights and protections for international workers, four weeks vacation, and an 
annual contribution of $50,000 from the hospital to the to help the workers with childcare, housing, and other expenses, uh, which, I mean, that's a pretty extensive list and covers a lot of what it looks like they were uh, fighting for. Yeah, to be fair, though, I can imagine childcare alone in New York City costing $50,000 a fucking year. It, yeah, like the, the, the fund is inadequate, but the fund now exists. Right. Which means in the next contract negotiations, you can just be like, yeah, that 50, what if that 50,000 was 500,000? Yes. But maybe that'll, maybe now we'll be getting a little, little closer to reasonable there. <laughs> yeah. Cause I mean, like when you talk about how much it actually covers, like, I mean, if it is really that much, it's like, oh, so we've got all of these postdoc or, um, yeah, we've got all these workers who, uh, you know, this ends up covering about 1% of childcare costs. Uh, we need to be getting that up to 25, 50% of actual childcare costs. Yeah. And- because like that's right now, like that's like, and that's not me criticizing this TA. Cause it's just like, that's a, you know, it's, it's, but it's like the least of all of these huge wins, all mm-hmm. of these things that the company said was, no, you can't do that. We can't afford to give postdoctoral workers parental leave. We can't do all this. Oh, well, suddenly after a 12 day strike, suddenly you can give them six weeks of parental leave and four weeks mm-hmm. of vacation. Seems like, seems like that was possible the whole time. Mm-hmm. So again, just underlining how important actually fighting for this stuff is because when your boss tells you it's not something's not realistic or it's not possible or you know just uh, it's the state of the industry and is what it is they are lying to you 100 percent of the time (laughs) yeah i mean like it it's the state of the industry or whatever is the same as uh this is a competitive wage because everybody pays bad you know exactly it's not a good (laughs) excuse motherfucker uh Mm -hmm. and i mean the uaw has shown an increased willingness to strike and stop companies from stalling on contract negotiations recently and clearly it's paid off hopefully Mm -hmm. i mean with this militancy that the uaw has shown it can help really fight back against this scourge of of brick wall refusals to bargain that are just so absolutely pervasive in this country yeah i think it's a it's a really good sign and so but moving on to our next story, you know, uh, moving over to the UK, where we haven't covered quite as many stories recently since the uh, the, the epic rail strikes wound themselves down. But uh, the struggle to overcome the cost of living crisis is still very intense uh, in the UK because, you know, the Tories are still in power. And so they still haven't done anything to help people. Um, and this week on Wednesday, junior doctors started a six-day strike and if it goes for its full duration, it will be the longest strike in the history of the NHS. Uh, the strike could end early, but, but but there are you know various contradictions involved. Like for instance, the junior doctors are saying they will, are willing to continue talks if the government is willing to make a new offer, but the ministers in the government say they won't issue a new offer while the strike is underway. So mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it seems like. We're agreeing the strike will last its full length then. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's um, what the BBC article basically said this is very likely to be. You know, they were basically predicting that, you know, the government is going to stay intransigent. Yeah. Well, I mean, at least they're honest about that. <laughs> uh, but like, yeah. And so uh, British Medical Association leader and junior doctor Vivek Trivedi said, quote, Anyone from the government could still come to us today, and if we thought that offer was credible, and if we can resume talks and build on that, then we can stop our strike action for the rest of the week, end quote. Which is, look, they, it's so wild. They're just like, yo, please, just like, 
give us something. It's not that we don't necessarily want to be outside of work, but we are forced to be out here. And then, like, the the government's like, but you're on strike. We couldn't possibly... We couldn't possibly give you a new offer while you're on strike. <laughs> Just ridiculous. Yeah, uh, uh, British prime or uh, British public officials. We wrote you, but you still ain't calling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so you know when we've talked in the past before about how shockingly low the pay is for junior doctors in England. Like you know, these doctors are demanding a 35 percent pay increase, though not necessarily like an immediate one. Just a 35 percent pay increase. Uh, and that's not even really that big when you consider that since 2008, junior doctors have seen a 25% cut in real wages due to the cost of living crisis. And so the 35% pay increase barely gets them back beyond that. And, and again, the starting wage for a junior doctor as of last year was just over 14 pounds an hour, which is under $18 an hour, uh, which is like, starting wage for like most jobs mm-hmm. <laughs> i feel like in the u.s well i like, mean yeah, not out here it's less here but oh, you know well, i mean in the in a city definitely mm-hmm. yeah in new england this is a that's a pretty common starting wage for amazon fast food uh amazon like delivery driving well not unless you you know not the cool delivery driving like if you're in a union and you're a teamster then you make bank but like, mm-hmm. uh, but anyways no again like yeah it, this is for doctors <laughs> like obviously everyone deserves a living wage this isn't enough money for anybody but you're giving this to people that you are depending on to keep everyone alive <laughs> uh it's 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 ridiculous and so in addition to being intransigent uh the tory uh, nhs ministers have decided to basically draft senior doctors to scab the procedures that would have been performed by the junior doctors, much as we see often happening with like the attempt to use uh, full-time faculty against adjunct faculty, uh, oftentimes in academic strikes. And you know, while at least 13 hospitals across the UK have declared that they are under extreme pressure or very busy due to the reduction in staff, this has only led the, the, to, to the, the state press and the government uh, continuing to pile the blame entirely on the doctors and not the system that has created this problem in the first place and could extremely easily solve it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The the press releases are annoying. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, I mean, the, our media is terrible, but the British press is just so openly craven. It's, it's wild to read. Um, and so, like... And this is, like, not the first act or the second action or the third action. This is actually the 10th strike by junior doctors since March of last year, really just the last 10 months or so. Uh, and the government has long known that this is going to be happening. And it's estimated that the amount that, of money that the government has wasted on not meeting the doctor's demands has exceeded the amount of the demand itself, which, while ridiculous, is uh, extremely common in these sorts mm-hmm. of struggles. Uh, again, showing the uh, irrational nature of the capitalist system. And uh, and so, you know, Prime Minister Rishi Sunak, while promising to lower wait times for the NHS, has instead presided over a 300,000-person increase in the length of the list of people waiting for care. So his plan of, what if I try and crush the workers and ignore all their problems? That will surely solve the crisis in our healthcare system, or at least convince people that it's insoluble 
and has to be done by privatizing the system. Neither of those things seem to really be working. And so it really comes down to the efforts of workers like these junior doctors to force the issue. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, all power to these workers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is frankly... Look, I think you know they they go out of their way to make themselves very very reasonable. They're like, look, we'll we're we'll, we won't we don't want to strike. Meet with us. Agree to our incredibly low demand. I'm just like thirty five percent wage increase. I'm like, y'all, you would be extremely reasonable to ask for a one hundred percent. Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> Frankly, I think he's probably what. I mean, look, it, it, I'm not a junior doctor. I'm not the person to de- decide what their demands are. But like, yeah, they're they're really not asking for that much. <laughs> um. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of a transition um, because there's not really a good way to transition from the <laughs> extremely reasonable demands of these junior doctors. Well, <laughs> like, to go from one person that sucks, the prime minister, Rishi Sunak, okay. to another person who big time sucks. There's some comparable <laughs> figures. That's right. Okay, we're talking about Elon Musk here because we're going to be talking about SpaceX. Some of you may have seen this because... When Musk does anything, it, it, it exceeds whatever whatever uh, genre of press it existed in. Mm-hmm. If it's a labor news story, now it's just a fucking news story. So mm-hmm. uh, we've seen clown and ghoul Elon Musk escalate his attacks on labor this week after the NLRB filed a complaint that said that he illegally fired eight SpaceX workers for drafting an open letter that criticized Musk for sexual harassment and making the company and workers there look like a joke. Uh, The NLRB complaint also says that employees were interrogated about their involvement in the letter and uh, the employees were told to quit if they had participated in any organizing activities. So, I mean, we we, we said, like, look, Howard Schultz was pretty, pretty bad. He kind of broke every rule. But Mm -hmm. Elon is going to be like a different beast. This is going to be the most flagrant, brazen, repetitive, unimaginative union breaking you've ever seen in your life. Yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah, this is like Howard Schultz is clearly guilty of every form Mm -hmm. of union busting under the sun. Whereas Musk, I believe, is guilty of aggravated versions of every one of those charges yeah and like not just those but like also the way that he does them the labor crimes implicate him in other crimes as well like generic financial crimes what sexual harassment sexual harassment race like hate like hate speech and Mm -hmm. and and, uh, racist harassment in the workplace it's i mean it's it's the whole ball of he, wax. He, as he we tried say. to bribe somebody he sexually harassed with a horse. I mean, I, <laughs> the list of this guy's crimes is is long and eclectic. That one is so much like from it to my mind. Every time I remember that, I have to remind myself that's a real news story that occurred, <laughs> yes. and not a four chan green text I saw screen capped on Reddit. <laughs> yeah. Um. Anyway. <laughs> Paige Holland Thielen, one of the employees who was fired, told New York Times that, quote, at SpaceX, the rockets may be reusable, but the people who build them are treated as expendable. I am hopeful these charges will hold SpaceX and its leadership accountable for their long history of mistreating workers and stifling discourse, end quote. And that's hopeful, but uh, the next part of the story uh, complicates that. I mean, 
I'm glad they made the charges, but that's a uh, real optimistic outlook. Yeah, but here's the other thing is like if the precedent of how Tesla has been handling Sweden is anything to go by, what's about to come sure. out of my mouth next will not surprise anybody, <laughs> yes. which is that in response, SpaceX filed a lawsuit saying that the NLRB's proceedings, which include a hearing from an NLRB administrative law judge, violate the company's, quote, constitutional right to trial by jury. <laughs> corporations are people folks and they can they can throw a gauntlet down in the middle of the country and be like i challenge you to single combat i i Uh, mean (laughs) yeah continue so the company also says that the nlrb is violating the rules of separation of power and that the agency's structure quote is miles away from the traditional understanding of the concept and yeah so so as ludicrous as all of that sounds it's a very particular legal strategy that's been really, really common over the last decade, which is uh, this is this he's, he's attempting to slot right into the slew of cases that have been involved in dismantling the administrative state. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there have been a series of rulings over the last decade, including things like Janus, uh, but also several attacks on on like the EPA banning yep. the like EPA's like stream protection rules, um, getting rid of the their ability to regulate carb uh, CO2. And all of that is based on this idea that uh, basically any administrative agency that has its own power is unconstitutional. Right. And, and this, that is basically, where those, this is where those constitutional originalist judges get us that we heard so much about for the last 20 fucking years. Well, yeah, because it's, it's, well, it's this, it's, it's because they build this system where they're, they're like, okay, we need to make sure that only the parts of the state that will always be controlled by, you know, the most extreme reactionaries, that those are the only parts that have decree power. Mm-hmm. And so, like, but they just, I mean, the whole thing is ridiculous. Ultimately, the goal is to just dismantle the entire administrative state entirely and, and reduce the, the form of the state to one that really only has... It's organs that are for the core purpose of the state, which is the reproduction of, of existing property relations. So, like, you can have the army and the police to do repression. You have to have those. That's great. There's no question there. And you can spend some money on propaganda to mm-hmm. brainwash people and stuff. That's okay. But basically anything else, yeah, uh, it, no. It's like that old Kurt Brauneler joke where he's like, Ghostbusters is so unrealistic. The EPA can't effectively shut down businesses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But and, and I mean, so like, you know, isn't the goal here to basically make it so that the if the NLRB even exists, that it just is uh like basically puts out pieces of paper that no one pays attention to? Well, yeah. Well, I mean, no. I mean, functionally, really, it's it's to get rid of any authority that the NLRB has now at all. Which, granted, obviously, is extremely small to begin with. But like, which is. Honestly, the biggest reason why I don't actually think this is going to succeed, because the the NLRB is already defanged. It's more effective for the ruling class for it to exist and be powerless than mm-hmm. for it to not exist at all, because that sharpens the contradiction and makes it very easy for people to see. So if I'm, you know, the executive committee of the ruling class of American capitalism or one of its enforcement arms, the Supreme Court... I'm going to not be rushing to get rid of the NLRB, just maybe shave off a few of the places it's gotten a little annoying lately. Yeah, try to transform it into an HR department. Yeah, 
exactly. So like obviously like this is a it's a it's a big attack on 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 the labor rights in the United States uh and a reflection of Musk's just <laughs> incoherent uh views on how society should be run. Um but I I I think even in the horrific system we live in that he's relatively unlikely to succeed at least on the maximalist version of what he's going for there yeah kind of a napoleonic figure in many respects <laughs> kind of <laughs> but yeah. he came back um <laughs> <laughs> yeah no absolutely wild i mean let's wish but we'll keep our eyes on it yeah. uh all horrible things to elon musk's but mm-hmm. uh to round out this episode with some good news uh we have a story about costco workers in norfolk virginia who formed the first from scratch union at the company joining the teamsters back at the end of december and i mean while most of our listeners have probably heard that costco has a union uh that actually largely comes from when costco acquired the price club company and grandfathered Mm. in the union members from that business and back when price club was a separate company they actually allowed workers to be recognized via card check election i've also heard some people say that price club used to be really badass (laughs) I, i honestly believe that and i mean but costco uh, contrary to the card check elections, uh, was not quite so kind. They held captive audience meetings and suggested that it was pointless, or well, yeah, yeah. They they suggested that it was pointless for workers to organize because they kept wages at non-union union locations similar to those of union locations. And obviously this is one of the things that has made Costco appear as a, quote, good place to work, uh, end quote, since there has been a union bringing up the rest of the workers while the company fears letting the workers fall behind, uh, you know, as or the non-union workers fall behind because then they may choose to join the union themselves. Uh, which would which, then give the union more leverage to win even better conditions. Exactly, exactly, which is also one of the really great things about these workers in Norfolk, Virginia, mm-hmm. uh, joining the union. Uh, and, I mean, in these captive audience meetings, they hammered on dues and claimed that the 401k plan that Costco was providing to non-union workers was better than the uh, combination 401k pension plan <laughs> at uh, that union stores had. All while also this mandatory meeting was held in a forty degree tire shop. Uh, and I didn't know Costco sold tires. Oh, yeah. Costco sells tires. You can get a great deal. I used to get my gas at Costco because I lived really oh. close to one for a long time. Yeah, oh. but also we don't really have so many of those around here. We mostly have Sam's and BJ's. If Costco paid their employees and good wages and let them be in unions, it would undoubtedly be my favorite place to shop. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean, looking at that, like the combination of four hundred one k pension plan, you'd think, oh wow, why is it a combination? Actually, the pension or the the 401k part of that plan is actually kind of small and the pension plan is pretty big uh which i think if uh our listeners know anything about that that's a good thing well you know they're just like hey we know you want this good thing but what if we gave you this bad thing Hmm? how about Mm -hmm. that did you think about that (laughs) yeah the the you want to try the bad thing the bad thing (laughs) has uh like 150 dollars more of a contribution oh 
<laughs> so the bad thing is worse than the good thing, but it comes with a really small lottery ticket. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, and actually, I mean, the 401k being a lottery ticket itself is really uh, a bit of that because it's subject to the market. We saw during the uh, financial crisis of 2008, 2009, where min- like so many people basically lost their entire retirement because of the crash of the market and people's retirement being tied to 401ks. Yeah, that's why my retirement plan is to become an indispensable asset to a foreign government. (laughs) (laughs) Look, I mean, you could have, uh, you know, security in your uh, later years, or you could have this uh, fistful of scratch-offs. Which would you rather have? (laughs) God, and you know what? Americans love scratchers. It's true. (laughs) You said that, and I'm just like, oh, you're going to sell someone on that, Dan. (laughs) But so while their election was actually kind of close with uh, 111 votes for and 92 against, the union members say that they are committed to hearing from every worker and uh, as they you know prepare for the next bargaining session, which is going to come as their current national contract expires next year. So, mm. I mean, they were all they were basically immediately put under the national contract, which one of the major benefits of there being a national contract mm-hmm. is you don't have to fight for that first contract. And they can spend that time organizing their fellow workers around the fight that's going to be happening next year. Mm-hmm. And well, and that yeah. also and that rocks just because like I'm sure that you know they try the like business press and stuff would try to minimize this and be like we don't even know why they unionize. They already have the same benefits as the like yes, union workers and blah 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 and all that stupid bullshit. But it's like well, first off, a again, it gives the union more leverage, which allows them to win more stuff. But also for our case, for just, you know, from the working class perspective, that victory, I think, is helps break down a lot of that. Because that's not just a line in the, in the business press. It's a propaganda line used against the workers. It's like, what do you need a union for? Why do you want to go through all this trouble? You already have these good things, blah, blah, blah. And these workers are showing, A, not only is it possible, you know, to add new union stores to Costco, uh, but that, like, there's a reason to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's like there, we might actually be able to get more out of mm-hmm. a multi-billion-dollar company that sells pickle jars so fucking big you could kill someone with them. Yeah, and so like, <laughs> while I haven't seen a ton of coverage of this win, I think it's a pretty important one, and you know, I think it's it 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 speaks to the like longer strategic vision of the the mm-hmm. workers involved. Yeah, well and I mean also to talk about the the business press a little bit. I mean all of those articles basically just like love Costco. They're like it's saying exactly <laughs> yeah. what you were saying. And so I mean the, a lot of this information actually comes from my own investigation of the story and uh, uh you know talking with workers actually there at the at the uh at the Costco itself. And worker organizer Cody Drain told the told us after the victory, quote, the general public has a view of Costco as one of the most fair and equitable employers, and on paper we are treated well, but over time and especially through the pandemic, the expectations have been ramped up and the culture Costco has touted for decades is failing. We are happy to now be a member of Teamsters Local 822 and look forward to big wins in our 2025 national contract negotiations, such as raises in line with rampant inflation 
and retiree health care, end quote. And I love that the workers there are already looking forward to that fight in the future because it really shows that this union is going to have some staying power despite starting on not like a, a 90% approval kind of footing. But they, I, I'm certain that they will get the, the support that they need through their organizing. Yeah, I also really like this uh, the 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 mention of retiree healthcare. I think it's really important that so many unions are looking out for the older members of their union, people who previously worked for the employer and stuff. Because like that's in some ways one of the only antidotes we have right now to the um, attack on retirement and, and retiring and getting to be done with work at any point in your fucking life. Yeah, what well, was it like? Literally, our second or third story of this episode. Yeah, mm-hmm. hell yeah. But yeah, I mean, shout outs to these workers. I think that this is probably not going to be the last time we're talking about workers organizing at Costco this year, especially in the wake of this victory and that rules. Hell yeah. And you know what else rules? The meme review. Uh, that's that's right. We have a great uh, addition to the, I guess, uh, lexicon of things that we have gotten from Disney I guess. I don't know. How do we do oh, this? Oh, yeah. Welcome, everybody, to the new era, the public domain era of Steamboat Willie. I'm sure everybody <laughs> over the last week has seen every single possible iteration of Steamboat Willie memes. <laughs> well, it's also funny because I think people misunderstand what, what the public domain thing is. They're like, oh, we can put him in whatever meme we want now. And it's like, no, you can put him on a T-shirt and sell it. <laughs> you were you were already able to put him in whatever meme you wanted. You just weren't allowed to make any profit off of it but, above board. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, and I mean, this first one is of Steamboat Willie with a kind of a. Uh, I guess I don't know what kind of background this is, but it's just some sort of like paper texture that's bluish, and the the speech bubble coming from this uh, early Mickey Mouse figure uh, says, unions benefit all. Corporations rob us of more than any thief, which I think (laughs) coming from Steamboat Willie really says a lot. It it really does. I'll believe anything that a mouse in a steam on a stovepipe hat says to me. I mean... That's but a look. <laughs> think about how old this cartoon is and how long we weren't able to put it on a t-shirt and profit from its likeness. <laughs> you know, looking looking closer at Steamboat Willie, you can really see where Yakko Warner came from as well. I wonder if there were <laughs> yes. any lawsuits about that. Hmm. I don't <laughs> but, know. Um, so our next one, uh, clocking in at uh, an overlap with uh, some folks, you know, fighting for Palestine. This is a, a product review of uh of some eyeliner (laughs) it's verified reviewer five stars pepper spray proof (laughs) i was pepper sprayed in the face point blank by the cambridge city police at a weapons manufacturer protest and this eyeliner stayed on amazing point blank (laughs) liquid last had my back shut held it down hell yeah And then a couple pictures of of her eyeliner <laughs> with a with a great thumbs up in one of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, what this is a, a great product review. I think that if you ever have an opportunity to do a product review like this, you must do it. It's your obligation. <laughs> well, as Americans, what more do we like to do than consume and review products? <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully, shut Elbit down. That's, That's right. right. Uh, our next meme is just a book cover from uh, best-selling author and two-time Hugo Award finalist Chuck Tingle uh, <laughs> that has uh, a, a woman giving a thumbs up while wearing some outdoors gear uh, with a stack of 
uh, magazines or job applications with a face on it. And it says, not pounded by stress because I took some time for myself, which is perfectly reasonable. And your job should heck off if they give you a hard time about it, (laughs) (laughs) which is like, I love that Chuck Tingle is now writing not just meta erotic fiction, but meta erotic where like now the characters are getting not pounded (laughs) as a form of gratification. I mean, truly operating on a different level of authorship. (laughs) Chuck. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We're really, we're really getting deeper into the distinction between content and text. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) in Tingle's work, form and function, uh, becoming highly conflatable. (laughs) I really could not begin to tell you what the fuck is supposed to be going on here. Yeah. Shout outs to Chuck Tingle, iconic, uh, writer of our time. (laughs) (laughs) So this next one is very, very simple. Uh, I just really liked it because it's just very funny to imagine him saying this. And so it's, it's some nerd, better dead than red us and then it's just a zoom in on shaggy's eyes so much that it's like you could see the comic book pixelation and it's just like like then perish man <laughs> it all yeah it also gives shaggy kind of that high look as well oh well, yeah yeah i mean this it is, is shaggy this is me every single day of my fucking life <laughs> yeah and i mean with the for the last meme of the i guess first episode of this year we mm-hmm. had to include a new year's meme which is uh, a three panel the first one has a, a tag of 11:59, and lennon reading a newspaper obviously doing work you know he was a very busy man and then at midnight he looks up and says happy new year and then at 1201 he's back down reading the paper because <laughs> though we can celebrate we also must continue our work and fight for a better world. Hell yeah. That's right. Always on that grind set. And also every time I see uh, a, an image with Lennon speaking and text in it, I'm always reminded that he spoke English with an Irish accent because an Irish guy taught him English. So he's like scribbling away furiously and he looks at him and he goes, Happy New Year. That's right. Wow. Yeah. I, I like that context. It gives it a little bit more flavor. Do you think he ever sang Old Lang Syne? <laughs> I don't know, but I did see some very interesting excerpts from his. Uh, I guess there's a book of his conversations with uh, with Gorky, oh. uh, which had some pretty entertaining anecdotes. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Huh. I mean, the best one though was when he was like, I don't remember. He was visited by some person, like famous Russian bodybuilder or something, and then he's like so interested in his craft that he's like, "Show me how you lift weights." <laughs> <laughs> and it was just while he was like hiding out, I guess, like in like or like, I don't remember, or just like staying over at his family's place and his, and his like mother came by and he's like, no, we are working very seriously. Go away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Always looking at processes, right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, with that, we're going to wrap for this episode. We want to thank you all for listening. If you'd like to help us out, you can share the show with your friends. You can write us a review anywhere that would help people find the show because we really appreciate that. But more so, we would really appreciate it if you'd become a patron at patreon.com slash workstoppage because it's the only way that we get any funding for doing this show. In the new year, we're going to be doing a long series on the on women's labor history in the United States, right? Or I guess kind of uh, mm-hmm. is it just in the united states dan yes yeah uh i mean uh just covering the u.s has has given me an enormous 
uh, uh, trove of stuff to go through. Uh, perhaps eventually I will expand uh, the the series to beyond the U.S., but uh, it's it's a lot to cover. Uh, shockingly, uh, women have a lot of history. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah would, maybe you should have. Would have thought maybe you should have picked a city species. instead of one of the largest <laughs> countries in the world. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, and that's going to be a pretty long series. So if you want to get that, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash work stoppage. Again, we appreciate that very much. You can also follow us in all the places. Links are at work stoppage Listen to BB Bledis. Listen to Red Game Table. And as always, labor peace is not in our interest and solidarity forever. Solidarity. Solidarity, everybody. <laughs> On the gains question, is that something? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. <why> not? <laughs>